Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefni Early and you are listening to episode 59 of the series. Today's show is sponsored by Urban Fit Crew who provide box fit classes in Kiltard. Thank you very much for your continued support of the show. Today is in focus and in our sites today we have the historical village of Fina. I joined local tour guide Nicola Kearns for a trip around the village, the abbey, the Church of Ireland and some other lovely little features around the quiet Leitrim town. Let's get on to the Abbey in Fina and my tour with Nicola. So just down here before we come into the village itself, here on the left hand side there's a field and it's in there's a beautiful dolmen from the 2000 BC and it's actually the resting place of King Conal Gulban. He was the chief of Breffney over Leitrim, Sligo and Donegal and Cavan and he was buried there and we can't actually get into the dolmen because it's on private land but it's one of the oldest dolmens in Ireland and now I'll take you down here to show you some points of interest in the village itself. The phone box there that has a funny story beside it or around it um, there's two pubs in the village they're called Quinn's and the Abbey Bar and the story or legend is that whoever is in power at the time in the government whether it be Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil they're the ones that get the phone box so over the years the phone box has been changed between Quinn's pub and the Abbey pub and at the moment the Abbey pub has the phone box but outside Quinn's pub there's this immense square where you can see where the phone box used to, used to be when they had it now there's a white house over there and it's called the old IRIC barracks. And in 1911 census, there was three sergeants living there and two policemen. Irish volunteers took the roof off the house in 1922 and they were robbing all the, the guns and the armory and all the weapons. And the man that lives in the house still is called Weedy Walsh or Murdoch Walsh. And he was born in that house. And in 1925, his father actually bought the house and reinforced the windows and doors so as there wouldn't be any more break-ins by the Irish volunteers. But in retaliation for the Irish volunteers breaking into the house and stealing all the guns, the Black and Tans then went to the, to the parish hall in Fina and burnt down the parish hall in Fina, and that was in 1922. So I'll take you up now to the Abbey. This settlement here is from 5th and 6th century, and this is what's known as St Keelan's Abbey. Now this abbey itself was built in 16th, 17th century, but the settlement here is from the 4th, 5th and 6th century, and it's... it's um, the, the patron saint of this abbey is St Keelan and St Keelan came from Slinehead in Galway and he went to study in Rome under St Colum Kill and he was also the teacher of St Manikin who's the patron saint of Mohill. And St Patrick and St Keelan were friends but there's no known record of St Patrick ever having been here to Fina. Fina was governed by the King of Breffney. He was over Sligo, Donegal and Cavan and Leitrim and he owned these lands here and he said to St Keelan would to pray for his wife to have heirs for succession. And he ended up having 12, 12 sons. So to say thank you, he gave St. Keelan the lands and he said to St. Keelan, as far as your eye can see is yours. So everywhere that you can see from where we're standing belonged to St. Keelan. So he began his monastic settlement and it was actually the most famous monastic and scholastic settlement in the whole of Europe. So much so that there was writings and um, recordings of English princes and kings and queens in Spain also, in France and Italy, who would have sailed over here, it would have took them three months, and their sons were sent here to study religion and to study, um, you know, the faith. So they would have lived here for about three or four years. 
So this settlement comes before Newgrange, older than Newgrange. It was here since before the potato came, before the Vikings were here, before the Normans were here. And if you look around Breton, you can see all the um, earthworks and groundworks. It's very unlevel land. And that's because they've that's grass and groundwork that have developed over the huts and villages where the monks all would have lived and settled. So this abbey here was built in the 15th, 16th century. Behind it, then a little bit behind the school, is the first abbey that was 14th, 15th century. But as the congregation grew, or the, the, the monks and whatever, they became more popular here, they built the bigger abbey. So the, that abbey down there behind the school was where the nuns would have lived, or the, you know, the females in the congregation would have lived. So the abbey here is from, as I said, 15th, 16th century. And in 1652, Cromwell's army um, invaded Ireland and they in invaded this monastery and they actually took, the, they burned the roof off it. The roof at the time was wooden slats with thatch at the top and they burned that and the monks were able to escape. There was no record of the monks being killed. And I'll show you how they escaped when we get inside. Then in 1690, in the Williamite Wars, the Williamite army came here and they also um, attacked the abbey and they also burned the roof off it and the roof had never been replaced since then and again the monks were able to escape now also I'll, when i take you inside i'll show you where the 500 year old famous book of fina was made and that book is in the royal irish academy at the moment and also there was a bell called the fina bell and that's from the 15th 16th century the bell was in St Mel's Cathedral in Longford, which, as you know, was burned down a few years ago, and that's now being restored in the Royal Irish Academy, and that's where the Book of Fina is at the moment. And five, that was 500 years old, so we had a big commemoration here for the 500-year anniversary, and we had the community centre in Fina done out like a medieval banquet hall would have been 500 years ago. And because the co-orbs of the Abbey are known as the Rodicans, the Redicans or the Roddies, all the, and the O'Rourke's, they came from all over the world to FINA for the 500 year commemoration because they're co-ops of the Abbey, which means they can actually also be buried inside the Abbey. So the, the whole hall was done out as a medieval banquet hall and the, we had hundreds and hundreds of visitors here for that. So that was a, good, a really good thing for FINA. So I'll take you up now and walk you through the, the graveyard. So this graveyard here at the front is the new graveyard. And then there's a little wall dividing that between the, the old one. And I think your grandparents are buried here, aren't they? My grandparents and my great-grandparents yeah. are both buried here in the new graveyard in Fina. We've made our way through the new graveyard up towards the abbey. And you've stopped here at the, the first thing you see, essentially, on the walls of the abbey. Tell me what this is, Nicola. This is a monument to the Turnock O'Dignan. And it's from 1567. You can see the, just about make out the date here, Breffney. And um, it's mentioned in the Annals of the Four Masters. And it was just a commemoration to the O'Dignan family. So it's a very beautiful piece of work, as you can see. You can clearly see Jesus hanging on the crucifix. And there's beads here. And that's actually the whip, you know, from when he was being flogged. So it's very, it's a very beautiful piece. And there's a ladder here as well, as you can see. As I said, that's here from 1567. So it's just a lovely piece of of um, history to have here on the wall in the Abbey in Fina. And as you say, it's the first thing you can see when you walk up towards it. Now I'll take you around the corner here, Breton. And this here is the resting place of St. Keelan. And this part of the Abbey was added on years and years later. I think it was about 100 years after the Abbey was built. And um, it was just, you know, to, to guard where his resting place is. And St. Keelan's birth date was the 13th of November. His feast day was 13th of November. 
And I'll take you down here. There's something interesting to see outside the other end of the abbey. And this is what's known as a coffin style. And the reason it's situated here is because before the roads were built here, the entrance to the abbey would have been from that direction. And as you can see, Breffney. That's back, back towards the village. Back towards the village, yeah. As you can see, the shape of the wall here, it's kind of, there's a part cut out of the wall, which is like, you know, in the shape of like a coffin. And then there's steps, stone steps leading down from that. And that's where men would have carried the coffin over and slid it across this area here and then carried it down on these stone steps into here to the great old graveyard. Now there's another interesting grave over here. And as you can see, it's a memory of Albert Villay who, who died in Auschwitz in 1942. And the story of how his memorial ended up here in Fina is because Albert and his wife Cecile, whose name is mentioned on the grave's gravestone there, they were living in Germany and they were put into Auschwitz. Now, Cecile was able to escape and she moved to America. But her husband, Albert, he died in Auschwitz and they had a daughter called Renee. And Renee came over here years later to Ireland because she met an Irish man in America. And they came over here and they actually settled in Cash in the house that lived was across the road from Gerties in Cash Carrigan. So Cecile then died in Cash Carrigan and Renee also died. And the memorial here, she put here herself. So we'll go inside. I do remember as a child when we'd be over here in Fina Churchyard, this used to be open. A few years ago they put a gate up just for security reasons and um, just to keep the, the place intact and have nobody coming in and doing any damage to it. So this part of the abbey is where the Book of Fina would have been made 500 years ago. This part here is, has a barrel vaulted roof as you can see. It's in very good condition really considering its age. And this would have been the classroom areas, the studying areas. And as I said, this is where the Book of Fina would have been made. Now you can see there's an opening here into a, the church area. I do, I do think that in those days there would have been some kind of a screen there. I don't think they would have had the classroom going directly into a church. But we don't know for sure. So I'll take you up now to the church part of the abbey. Now over here on the left-hand side you can see what looks like a chimney. Or not just a chimney, but a fireplace. And underneath the fireplace is the stone slab. But actually, ingeniously, what this was, was actually a hiding place for a tunnel for where the monks could escape, as I said, during the Cromwellian War and during the Williamite War. There is a big tunnel underneath that slab, and the slab was put there in the 1800s just for security reasons. So that tunnel would have taken the, the monks out, the whole way away out onto the Ballinamore Road. And is the tunnel still intact, or do you even know? I don't know what it's, what it's like now, but I presume it would be. Although I don't know how, where the tunnel exactly comes out in Ballinamore on the, on the main road, but it does go as far as there. So these seats over here, these are called sedilia seats, and that's where the high-up abbots would have sat in all the regalia. And this here is our beautiful female abbey window. And that... That abbey window is bigger on the inside than on the outside to let more light in and it faces the rising sun and that was the inspiration for our local author John McGahan's name of his, one of his books as the face the rising sun and that would have been all stained glass at the time and over here there's an interesting another interesting grave this is to the O'Rourke families and the Peyton families and as you can see there's skulls on the top of the gravestones 
And the story behind that is that... Now, they're not real skulls. No. <laughs> they're they're uh, stone skulls. <laughs> yes. This, this is the grave of Sean O'Rourke, who was known as Sean of the Skulls. And the reason for that is he had a castle in Loch Skor, which is still remains there today. And he had a big banquet one night and invited all his neighbours and friends, well, so-called friends, because what he did was when they all arrived, he got them drunk, he had them dancing, fed them really well, and then decapitated them all. Sounds kind of like the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he is buried here along with the Peyton family and he's known now as John of the Skulls, so a bit gruesome. So this lovely little window we have here, Graffney, is called an ogie window. And as you can see, it's kind of a narrow arch window. It's kind of like where they would have fired arrows from years ago from castles, but obviously they didn't do that here because it's an abbey. But it's, it's kind of in that kind of a design. And this would have been like where they would have kept vessels. That's just like a little stone area here. So upstairs, that would have been where the abbots would have slept. And as I said before, the roof here would have been um, wooden slats and thatch. But as you can see, there's a, there's a lovely stone staircase going up to the second floor of the abbey. And you can see just, just about see the remains of what was the door frame. Can you see that there yeah. on each side? Yeah. Now looking around at some of the gravestones, there's a, some reasonably recent ones as in some from this decade, there's a, a date there from September 2013, there's 1995. I would have expected all of the graves in here to be almost 60, 70, 100 years old. The reason for that, Breffany, is because I, I, I think you might remember me telling you a while ago that the co-ops of the Abbey are called the, the Rodicans, the O'Rourke's, the Radicans, the Roddies, different abbreviations of that name. And to this day, going back from 500 years ago, they still have the right to be buried inside the Abbey walls. So even though some of the, the headstones might have different surnames, like there's a gill there, for example, that would be because somebody somewhere during the line of, of their family would have been an O'Rourke. So to this day, you can still you, they can still be buried here. And as you can see, there's quite some fresh graves and there's, they're really well looked after, some very fresh flowers here. They are, they're, there's a local saying is that if you get buried inside the Abbey Walls of Fina, that you go straight to heaven. So I hope I get a little corner somewhere. A little plant pot will do me. <laughs> As I mentioned at the start of the episode, the show is sponsored today by Urban Fit Crew. The box fit classes taking place in Kiltard Community Centre, just outside Carrick and Shannon in County Leitrim. They have ladies box fit classes from 7 to 8 every Tuesday and Thursday, immediately followed by men's classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays also at 8 to 9pm. You can, of course, register online, urbanfitcrew.ie or contact them by phone on 087-977-7484 or by email boxfit at urbanfitcrew.ie Now their classes are starting on the 10th of September and you need to book your place as soon as possible to make sure that you do not get disappointed by missing out. There is also an offer of a free class for all new members to come and have a look, see if you like it and then you can sign up. So don't be shy, come along, have a go see if you're hard enough for the box fit now it is suitable for beginners as well as people who have done this before and i actually did these classes in a former life when i lived in dublin the people behind urban fit crew as you can probably guess from the name were in dublin and ran these classes up there while i might not today be a shining example of what you can get out of a fitness class at the time it was very enjoyable and i got really really good results from it so i do heartily recommend checking them out and if it's for you absolutely sign up
So we're down here in the old graveyard, and you have pointed out a, a, a stone cross to me. What's the significance of this, Nicola? This stone cross, as you call it, is the gravestone, and it's the, it's the oldest gravestone in the Abbey. It's from 4th or 5th, 6th century. And you can see on the front of it is Oum Wrighton, and that's writing that was popular in the 4th, 5th and 6th century. So we know it's from that era, but we're not exactly sure which century it is. And in the middle, there's letters P-A-T-M-C, which was actually added on many years later. But we don't know much else about the stone, apart from that it is Oum Wrighton, that's O-G-H-A-M. And it is the oldest gravestone in the graveyard and the oldest gravestone known around this part of the country. Now, can you see, Brethany, where there's like a rope effect carved into the wall at the back of the abbey? Yeah, it's just under, the, just under the open window. Yeah. Now, the story from this um, is a folklore story about the abbey, and it's a bit interesting, although the dates don't really add up. So to anybody who's very particular about their history, um, I apologise for the dates, but the story is that when St. Keelan and his abbots and his monks were building the abbey, everything that they did that day was destroyed when they woke up the next morning. So St. Keelan began to pray a lot about it and one night he dreamt and was told by God in his dream to put a rope or tie a rope around all the work they do the night before they go to bed. So they did that and the next morning they woke up and there was a serpent entangled in the rope. So they took that to mean a sign that the devil was trying to destroy their work. So they carved the rope effect into the abbey walls just to remind themselves and everybody that the devil is never too far away. So when we had an archaeologist here one time, he said to me, you can clearly see where the serpent is entangled in the rope. And I did, couldn't really see it until he pointed out to me that it actually looks like two ropes entwined together, but one is the serpent. And then if you look down there at the right-hand side, Brethren, you can see the serpent's head. And that's why the rope effect there is there at the back. So I'll take you right now to the the little angel garden. Now this part of the abbey is what's known as the angel garden and the reason it's called this is because the parish priest about 20 years ago he wanted the local men to build a little garden because this is the area where all the babies who were born out of wedlock or babies who weren't baptized were, were buried and that was because sadly they weren't allowed to be buried inside the graveyard inside the abbey walls. So they were buried here on the outside of the church walls, which I think is very sad. And the local men made this beautiful rose garden. And as you can see, Brefney, it's quite pretty and it's lovely when the roses are in bloom. And it's just a sad reminder of the, how the times were in the past and how far we have come now. So Brefney, this here is the gravestone and the grave of Dr Paddy Muldoon, who was cruelly murdered, as it says on the headstone in Mohill in County Leitrim on the 18th of March in 1923 and there is a delicate story about this man's death. He was a local doctor in, ba in Mohill in the 1920s and he was murdered and the reason he was murdered is because he was asked by the local parish priest who at the time had got his young housekeeper, a 17 year old girl, pregnant. He asked the doctor could he do anything so as the pregnancy wouldn't develop and the doctor refused on his moral grounds. Later on the girl was sent to a mother and baby home in Dublin and when the baby was born the priest went to Dublin and took the, the baby and the girl out of the mother and baby home and they were found, discovered by three women, just abandoning the baby on a road in Dublin in the city centre. The three ladies who found the doctor and the young girl doing this notified the, guard, the guards or the constabulary as it were. They, they were. found the doctor or they found the priest? They found the, the priest, sorry. 
they found the priest um, abandoning the baby with the young girl on the streets in Dublin. They called the local guards and the guards arrested them. The young girl was put into a psychiatric home and the priest was kept in prison until he was until his court date. He was tried in court three times, but he was never sentenced. But he was disrobed of his priestly duties at the time. But while the court case was going on, he was very worried that this Dr Muldoon would be called to give evidence and it wouldn't be good evidence. So he arranged for a man he knew in Mohill to get rid of the, of the doctor. And this, he gave this man a sum of money, and it was enough money that when he had shot the doctor dead, he was able to go to America the very next morning. In fact, the story is that he actually left for the train not long after shooting this doctor. He left on the train and made his way to America. Now, murder would not have been common in, in Ireland, never mind in Leitrim in those days. Murder, that kind of a murder that wasn't anything to do with civil war, was very, very un- unknown. When it happened, some people thought it was an IRA killing, but it wasn't. It was just a murder, and it was the, the local parish priest who organised the murder of the Dr Muldoon. And his wife at the time was pregnant with her fourth baby. She already had three sons. The other local parish priest at the time, who was an older priest, he came to give the last rites to the doctor as he lay dying. And then he went to the home of the doctor's wife and gave him the, her the news. Apparently she collapsed with the shock. Her family went on to do well. The four of them went into the medical field like their father. The three sons became doctors and the daughter gave her poor medical career to become a mother when she got married. So, as I said, that's a very sad story of the times as it was and the fact, you know, like, just reminds you of the little angel plot over there where the the babies were buried outside the church walls. You know, that was another baby that was just, you know, discarded. But that baby actually died, this priest's baby died two months later um, of gastric enteritis and the mother went off to live in America and was never heard of since. Now we've taken the short journey up the road as far as the Church of Ireland St Catherine's here in Fina and there's a sign here to say Fina Peace Garden. Well this is the Church of Ireland and it was built in 1790 and it was built by the board of the First Fruits and we were told the board of the first fruits is the rectors the new rectors first year's wages would go towards the building of the upkeep of new churches so this church here was built in 1790 and over next door we just come from the abbey in fina there's some very tall gravestones very elaborate gravestones and they're the protestant gravestones and the reason they're buried in the church the catholic church graveyard is because up until 1790 there was no graveyard for the church of ireland so they used to be buried in the abbey and then they were from 1790 on they were buried here in this graveyard um, this path there's a beautiful um, garden surrounding the church and there's a path, long pathway up to it and in the olden days in 1790 and the 18th century the 19th century this pathway would have been quite mucky in the in you know in winter months so apparently the local Catholic boys used to sit outside and outside the gates and wait for the ladies to come dressed in their finery and their dresses and they would af- offer to throw straw down on this pathway so the ladies' dresses wouldn't get destroyed in the muck. But little did the ladies know that the boys had mucked it up on purpose a few hours beforehand so that they would get a few pennies. We've just entered the Church of Ireland here in Fina and I'm looking at a, a long cable, chain link cable with a little bar at the end of it. I'm guessing it's a bell of some sort. It is, Brackney. This is our, our Fina bell, our Church of Ireland Fina bell. And I'll see if I can pull it. There we go. 
No, it definitely, it definitely sounded. Now, we haven't sent a, a secret signal to anybody to say, come, we're under attack or anything like that, have we? This bed was just fixed about two years ago, I think. It used to be, it used to be very faulty, and if you pulled it, pieces of the ceiling would actually come down on you. So we're happy now that we can actually ring the bell, and there was actually classes held here one time on how to ring the bell properly, which obviously I didn't attend, or I would have known how to do it. <laughs> so I'll take you in here now. Something very interesting here, if you can see it, Brethany, is this used to, this was what is known as hypercost, and this was what was known at that time as underground heating, which was very ingenious and very modern for the time. This was added on in 1868 by Reverend Beresford, who was a rector here in Fina Abbey at the time, and apparently this church used to be absolutely freezing cold. So he got the underground heating installed, and down here there's three or four steps underneath these grids, the big black wrought iron grids that run across, uh, the, that run along the passageway of the Church of Ireland. And underneath the grids there, you know, there's three or four steps which lead down into a furnace. And that was fed by anthracite from Marigna. And the caretaker would come in here very early in the mornings before the services began. And he would fire the, the stove full of anthracite and coal. Now, this, we have been told that in records it says that the place was either completely full of smoke and roasting hot and the women's clothes used to be covered in, sm in smoke or it didn't work and it was freezing cold. So it didn't really work that well. But it's interesting that it was underground heating for those times. And as you can see, the vents run along the passageway here in the middle of all the seats. And there's another vent up behind where the rector would have stood to give a sermon. So these th beautiful glass cut or stained glass windows here. There's a beautiful one here. When you walk in the abbey, you can see it straight ahead of you. And if you remember, Brethany, it's, it's the same style as the one that's over in the, the abbey across, across the field. I was going to say it looks very familiar with the three long pieces and the, the circular thing at the top, the, the wheel at the top. Well, that wheel at the top is what's known as St. Catherine's Wheel, and the church is called St. Catherine's, and it's named for the 4th century Egyptian queen who was martyred for her faith in Egypt in, during the fourth century. And she was made a saint, and they called the abbey after her, St. Catherine. And some people say, why is Church of Ireland got a saint's name? Why is it called St. Catherine? I believe it was because before the Reformation, when King Henry changed the church over, saints were well known in, you know, well known in the area at the time. And then there was a softening over the next couple of hundred years, so much so that many of the Church of Ireland began to take um, notice again of the saints, and that was why this was called St. Catherine's. But I'll take you up here, Brethany, where you can see the St. Catherine must have meant so much to the people that built this church at the beginning. Because you see on the chairs here, there's a Catherine wheel carved into the centre of the chairs. It's here on the front of the, of the, the rails. And it's also here on the, the pulpit, there's little Catherine wheels. So it is, it's been carved into a lot of different parts of the, of the Church of Ireland itself. Now all the furniture here, you can see, is all original. And I'll try and describe it to anybody that's listening. There is a beautiful pulpit. There's a couple of steps and it goes, they go up into a pulpit and with a handrail at the side. And um, the seats are all in very good condition. I think it holds about 100 and 120 people. And there's another area then where there's, um, it's like a raised platform where a priest or a rector would have given a sermon also. 
So all the, the fittings here are all original and the ceiling has all been repaired. And the Abbey window here itself was repaired just last year. And Abbey windows in Ireland did the repair for that. And the stained glass windows here at each side of the church, they were put in by the Reverend Beresford, the same rector who put in the underground heating. And they're in honour of his 17-year-old daughter who died of pneumonia. And she's buried outside here in the Fina graveyard, or in the Church of Ireland graveyard. And again, William Beresford, the rector, added the vestry on 68 years after the Church of Ireland was built. And here you can see a tall cupboard with a very elaborate handle. And it's quite tall and narrow. And that's where all the rectors would have kept their vestments. And of course, you can see the old abbey from here. Would that have been a, a spying effort or just to let the sunlight in? <laughs> a bit of both, I'd say. Now, there's a beautiful door here you can see as well at the back. It's, you can see it back nicer from the outside. And the story with the, this door is that it is from 1790, but it's actually been put down upside down and back to front. And because of that, they have a, this massive, huge steel or wrought iron key to open it, which I can never do. So they've had to put an extra lock on the front door of the church now so I can get in. Now we've come back outside the church and we're in, walking through the graveyard. And there's a lovely wooden structure at the end of the yard. Tell us a bit about that. This pergola was put up last summer by the men who work on the local rural scheme. And those men are Patrick Curran, Ollie Doonan, who sadly passed away a few months ago, Peter Kilkenny, Jerry Keane and Maliki. And they would have put this pergola up just for summer for the people in Fina and the village to sit and just have a chat. Or also people who have come to a service here the odd time, they can go there. There's beautiful flowers, as you can see. They've also made this beautiful pathway around here and they put a little carved seat at the end. I think it's just that they want to keep the area, you know, nice, and they, they want to, um, to show that, you know, the Church of Ireland people as well, that, you know, we want to, we're quite happy to care for their church for them. And the men in the area have really, really looked after this graveyard so well, particularly Oliver Doon, who died a few months ago and was much loved by the parish. Now this headstone is to Flory Rosmond and an Evelyn Rosmond and the story with this is that we were contacted by a museum that had opened in Canada and it was opened because it was um, re recognising a man called James Rosamond who was born in Fina in 1815 and moved to Canada to try and find some work. And this man, James Rosamond, actually became the owner of all the Rosamond mills all over Canada which are really, really well known and they're very famous, so much so that they built a museum in honour of him. They contacted us because they found out through their research he was from Fina and left here in 18, or was born here in 1815. And this grave is to his descendants, Flory and Evan Rosmond. So this gravestone is to a William Latimer. And the story with William Latimer's death is quite a sad story. And it was reminiscent of the way things were in the time of the Civil War here in Ireland, particularly around this area. And he was shot on the 30th of March in 1921. But the reason he was shot is because on the 11th of March in 1921, local volunteers took over a house in Selton here beside Fina. And they took over the house because they were told that the next day there would be um, a British army force going past the house at around 10 or 11 the next morning. And they had decided to ambush this British army. So William Latimer lived across the road from the house that had been taken over by these nine volunteers. 
And at the time when he called to the house to give the death, the notice that his mother had died during the night, he went over to give the, no the notice and noticed that there was these other men standing around and having breakfast and some were shaving upstairs. So he went into Mohill village to contact the local doctor, Sweetman, and to tell him that his mother had passed and to get a death certificate. He, unknown to him, Dr Sweetman was a very good friend of General Gore Hickman, who was over the British Army in Mohill at the time. So, of course, Dr Sweetman contacted General Gore Hickman and the, the ambush was going to be foiled. What happened was the British Army then, they decided they would, um, they would surprise the volunteers themselves. So when the, the volunteers were having breakfast and shaving in the house, the British Army ambushed them. And when they arrived at the house and set up machine guns on the wall, the young men started to scatter across the fields. Seven of the men were killed instantly. One of the men, Jack Hunt, was ki was, wasn't killed, but he was dragged into the back of a lorry. He had a broken leg, apparently, and was quite injured. And he was thrown into the lorry with seven of his dead comrades. Another man, Bernie Sweeney, survived because he fell into a ditch and the drain water in the ditch was kept, kept him alive during the night. He was rescued that night by friends from Ochnashielan who kept him up in the mountains for a couple of weeks until he recovered. The dead men and Jack Hunt were thrown in, on the ground in the courthouse in Carrick and Shannon and Jack Hunt died that night. And locals in the area often spoke about the, how horrified they were that when the men lay dying on the fields, that the British soldiers hit them over the heads with the butts of their guns until they, were, until they died. So two weeks after this happened, the IRA, the local volunteers, called up to William Latimer's house and shouted at him through the door to come out. He knew what it was about and he refused to come out. So they threw a hand grenade in the door. Because he had children and his wife in the house, he came out and put his hands up and said, not in front of the kids. And they took him around to the back of the house where they shot him. So he's buried here. But then a couple of months later, a Dr. Sweetman then went to live in England. He had a surgery in London and he went there in hiding because he was sure he would be next, which he probably would have been. A couple of years later, he was coming out of his surgery and was knocked down by a black taxi cab. Now, people say it was the IRA had organised that, but the lo local volunteers in the area came out and said, no, it wasn't because if they were going to do it, it would have been execution style and it wouldn't have been made to look like an accident. So this is where William Latimer is buried. And as I said, it's very sad and reminiscent of what the times were like here on those days. And even the men apparently who shot him didn't want to do it, but they had to make an example of him because they knew he probably did it in error. And also probably because he was grieving for his mother, he didn't think. And he probably had no intentions of having these young men ambushed and killed. Sounds like a kind of scary place to be living in the 1920s. Especially if you're a doctor. <laughs> I'm joined by Teresa Lennon, who is the manager here in the FINA Visitor Centre. Can you tell us a little bit about the facility here, Teresa? Yeah, well, the Visitor Centre is a community facility, first and foremost. Um, it's been open since 2005. We run kids' activities here throughout the year, um, indoor playtime. Uh, it's a birthday party venue as well. We also showcase the history and heritage of FINA. Um, we run... Um, different classes in the evening and the facility is also used for meetings and training. You have a lovely little cafe here as well so it does generate its own income essentially? Yeah it does, we um, have a few different income streams, um, the main one would be the coffee shop and the children's activities. And you have a few staff here floating around as well, all looking after the kids and the cafe and also some of the guys working outside on the, on the outdoor stuff around the village. 
Yeah, so there is four of us that work here in the visitor centre, myself and three of the other girls, Nicola, Mary and Claire. So we take care of all the customers that come through the door. Um, Nicola also does the guided tours to the Abbeys, which just um, happened there for Heritage Week. But we obviously do the um, tours right throughout the year as well, if anybody wants to avail of that. Um, we also have the lads on the Rural Social Scheme that work in tandem with us, and they take care a lot of the outside work, um, whether it be cutting grass or picking up rubbish, any of those nice jobs outside. We've had the pleasure of a tour with Nicola this morning around the Abbey and the Church of Ireland. What else is going on around the village that's of interest to, to local people or to visitors to come into the area? Well, I suppose the Tidy Towns group has done a lot of work in showcasing some of the other heritage points in FINA. For example, just out the road here, we have um, a milestone which was... Um, done up by uh, Fina Tidy Towns and Active Age groups. So that's a point of interest in the village. We've also added signage down the Clune Road showcasing the Humbert Trail. Um, General Humbert would have passed through Fina on his way to Balnamuk, so that's another point of interest. Uh, the community centre out the road is another um, part of the parish, and we have lots of different events that take place there throughout the year, whether it be drama, social dancing, fitness classes. Uh, so there's always something going on in Fina. It's a vibrant little village because sometimes you, you'd pass through Fina without really giving it a second thought at times, but there's so much going on here. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Fina right throughout the year, and that's down to a lot of the community groups that work tirelessly throughout the year to um, keep their own group going, and it all adds to the fabric of the village. Well, listen, thank you very much for giving me a bit of time this morning, and uh, the very best luck with the facility going forward. Okay, thanks very much, Brefney. So we're back at the visitor centre and I've bumped into Patrick Kern, who's one of a group of men, who a couple of them surround me here now, uh, who were responsible for the lovely Peace Garden over in the Church of Ireland graveyard. Patrick, tell me a bit more about the, the Peace Garden. Um, the Peace Garden got funded through Leitrim County Council's um, Peace and Reconciliation Programme. Pony Ogle would have been the um, go-to person on that. The Teddy Towns would have worked with her and the uh, Church of Ireland committee. I helped the Teddy Towns in that, and that's how I got involved in that. And the actual garden itself, you might describe what's, what's over in the, the graveyard. We built a gazebo, and there's kind of planter pots with various flowers. There's bulbs, uh, daffodils, and snowdrops, and that planted around. And then there's a, um, a bench. And who in the local area would have been involved in the, the construction of that? The tidy towns, the likes of Noel Connerfee and uh, Peter Kilkenny, Malachy, um, and then the girls um, would have been very good at doing all the flowers and that, uh, Nolene Ellis and Teresa Ellis and that. And is it used regularly? Oh, yeah, it seems very popular. A lot of um, the younger couples in the village with small kids are coming down and you can see them in in and around it okay well listen it looks beautiful so congratulations uh, thank you very much a couple of weeks ago on the show we offered a prize of three months membership 12 weeks gym membership and personal training in train and gain and with james mcdowell personal trainer in carrick and shannon i'm joined by james again James, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
James, now I have to apologise on behalf of the listeners, but I haven't been able to get our schedules to match for the last couple of weeks. Um, and we should have announced this a couple of weeks ago, but because it's my fault, 100% my fault, uh, but we are now announcing who is going to win the prize. So I know there's a lot of people who have been eagerly waiting to see who would win this. Tell us a bit about the prize before we say the winner. So the prize is 12 weeks membership at the gym and then also two personal training sessions every week with myself. So it should be a great start to someone's fitness journey. Absolutely. And we are, of course, here just outside the gym at the Mulvey Centre in Cortober, right beside Little, I suppose, would be the landmark that people might be familiar with on the Sligo Road, the Boyle Road, out of Carrick and Shannon. Now, we did get a huge number of entries, and so you've had to sift through them and see who you felt was the best person for the prize, and you've picked a winner. Do you want to tell us who that is? So the winner is Helena McGovern. Helena, we will be in touch with you. Congratulations. Uh, commiserations to everybody else who entered. There were some fantastic entries and reasons as to why people wished to win the prize. But Helena, you are the lucky winner, uh, as selected by James, and you will be joining me in the gym over the next 12 weeks, trying to get ourselves in shape. Uh, we will be in touch and we will organise to have our first day in the gym together so that we can see how we're, we're going to get on. James, who do you think is going to do better, Helena or myself, given how my schedule has been over the last few weeks? Well, I'm sure you'll get your act together. <laughs> no, we will. Uh, absolutely 100% committed to this. And uh, Helena, looking forward to meeting you and to seeing this journey, how we get on and getting ourselves into a little bit of shape. James, thank you so much for such a fantastic prize. And I think we're going to see a lot of each other over the coming weeks. You sure will. <laughs> And that, folks, is all we have time for today. A little bit longer than normal, but I think you'll find it was a fascinating tour around the village of Fina. So much history, so much to see, and well worth a trip down to the visitor centre in Fina and I get a tour from Nicola or one of her colleagues in the centre there. Once again, a thank you to Urban Fit Crew, the sponsors of today's episode. Tomorrow, Orla Macnabola will be with you for the What's On Guide of what is going on around the county over the next seven days or so. And I'll be back with a preview of the sports action on Friday morning. Talk to you then.